What's up, bikers? Welcome to episode 155 of the Biker Bar podcast live stream. Man, that was about, that was, I'm like a little tongue tied to it today. This is going to be a problem. <laughs> Anyways, I appreciate you guys all for tuning in. Today's guest is Bird Spokes. We had him on, Charlie, actually, from the, uh, from Bird Spokes. We had him on almost, two and a half years ago something like that so episode 74 it's been a while a lot of things have changed over there but before we get started um do me a favor if you haven't swing by my facebook or my instagram do that give me a little give me a little follow over there that'd be rad if you're one of the people that just happened to sign up for patreon last week Thank you very much. Three of you guys out there it really means a lot. Like I said before, this is a grassroots thing, man. I um, don't have any big corporate sponsors or anything like that. It's just just me out here in my garage making content for the last almost five years now at this point. Oh, wow. It has been five years. So that's what it is. So those of you guys that are out there on Patreon that are helping out, it really, it means a lot. It really, truly does. It's as uh, little as a buck a month or for five bucks a month, you can put some beer in the fridge, maybe buy some camera gear, some of those things. So really helps out a lot. I appreciate everybody on there. All three of you guys that signed up last week. You guys are rad, man. Honestly, it's been, like I said last time, it's been months since I've had anybody sign up. So it's really, really cool to see that. Um, I do want to say something, though, to you guys a little bit different than I normally do is I have been wearing the Tasco shorts lately. And um, oh, my God, these things are amazing. Honestly, the super light ones are the ones that like really, really got my attention. And because of that, I ended up buying some of the other ones too. And now that's pretty much all I'm wearing. So I reached out to Tasco and he hooked me up with a 15% discount. So if you guys want to hit the link that's in show more, or you can just go to the website and remember that coupon code scout-biker and um, they'll save you 15%. So go check out their stuff, man. Really impressed with everything that Nate's been doing over there. And honestly, his quality is impeccable. If you're looking for a high quality product, this is the one to go with. If you want something cheaper, then I'd go for the hand up stuff at that point. But honestly, really digging the Tasco shorts. Can't say enough good things about them and the summer gloves. So take a look over there. Anyways, I'm going to bring Charlie back on. And uh, how's it going, Charlie? Great. Thanks for having me, Robert. Yeah, man. It was good to bump into you at Sea Otter. Yeah, how, you bet. Uh, how, was, how was that experience? I, I don't think I've seen you there before. Yeah, Sea Otter was amazing. That was our, our first time at the show. And uh, we, we actually co-exhibited with Kenda, which was uh -huh. really, really cool. We were doing a giveaway for the event. We met so many people who had seen us, you know, maybe on YouTube before, but never met us in person. So it was yeah. super awesome to be there and, uh, and see all the races, too. Yeah, this year's Sea Otter was freaking out of control, too, man. It's like the first one that I've seen that was as big as it was before COVID. You know, it was, if not even bigger, honestly, it was it yeah. was uh, very hectic. I, I, I didn't stay for the weekend. I usually come for the weekdays. And man, I can only imagine the weekend was probably off the rails. It, it was amazing. And that's what everyone said, that over the last couple of years, it's just gotten bigger again. And now now it's an amazing show again so yeah awesome. yeah and the weather was good this year too so every once in a while you get a bunch of wind or something like that so these things happen so um uh for some of the people that aren't familiar with bird can you give me the like the elevator pitch what you guys are doing over there yeah absolutely well we make the world's lightest bicycle spokes so we founded our company in 2015 
And we invented a spoke made out of a polymer. Most bicycle spokes in the world are made of stainless steel and stainless steel spokes have been around since the first Tour de France and they've just been unchanged for the last hundred years, basically. So our spoke is made out of a material called ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. And what makes it so great is that it has nine times the strength to weight ratio of steel. What allowed us to make it in a spoke is the connection that we make between the polyethylene and the steel. And it actually relies on the Chinese finger trap effect. So it's a braided fiber and the, a metal rod on the end with threads goes into the braided fiber. And what makes it so strong is that when you pull on it, it's that compressive force, just like a Chinese finger trap works. And, um, and that's what our patented technology is. So, um, so the spokes themselves, they're, they're super lightweight, but the first thing most people notice, and it's our, actually our biggest selling point now these days is the vibration damping. The, the ride quality compared to steel spokes is just unbelievable. So the first time people ride our spokes say, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe how many vibrations the spokes damp compared to stainless steel. You know, as you go over rocky, rooty terrain, you get all of those bumps coming from the, the road and the trail up into your seat, your handlebars. And, you know, over long rides, you feel that. Mm -hmm. You feel that in your head, your back, your shoulders. Yeah, definitely. And um, and honestly, that's you know, of course, they're they're less than half the weight of steel, so you save a ton of weight on your wheels. But what people really, really notice is that that vibration damping the first time, um, the first time people ride with our spokes, which is which is really cool and is actually an unintended uh, consequence of producing the spokes. You know, when we first made the spokes, we didn't know that. Uh, that the vibration damping would be such an important thing and that it ultimately translates to to speed over rough terrain gravel pretty mm -hmm. rocky trails that sort of thing yeah because they say if you're less fatigued then you could actually be like stronger over time like i i, I had read this uh road biking thing before where they did this test with with the tire pressure at 100 psi and a tire pressure at 80 and even mm -hmm. though the 100 psi like initially would like maybe be a little faster or something like that over time because the rider was getting fatigued from the hundred that they actually had better times on the eighties and the endurance. So I would imagine something as dramatic as what you're talking about with the spokes is, is probably even more than, than 20 PSI in the tires. Yeah. You know, steel, what's interesting about steel is guitar strings are made out of steel. And the reason is, is because just intrinsically, it's really, really good at transmitting vibrations. That's what steel <laughs> wires are really, really good at doing. And so it's just a, a natural property of the polymer that it it doesn't transmit vibrations so well. And we've done we've done experiments here to show that to show the the difference in vibration damping. But the the real truth is that we get so much feedback from our customers that that that's what they really really appreciate about the the spokes. So what did you think? I mean, so that this is one of those things that like, it's like, oh, wow, th this happened by accident. What did you think the number one thing was that people would just be looking for? Oh, wait, for sure. That's, you uh -huh. know, that's why we originally made the spokes is, you know, is they're lightweight, but, but at the same time without sacrifice in terms of strength. So they actually right. have better fatigue life than normal steel spokes. So you're, you're going to break fewer spokes. You're going to have to true your wheels less often compared to steel. Um, so it's, you know, it's not, 
it's not riding super lightweight components at the expense of having to go to the bike shop every other ride, you know, to get, mm -hmm. to get your stuff fixed again. Um, so that was absolutely what we thought the, the biggest selling point of our product would be. And it, of course it still is, you know, it's, I mean, that's mm -hmm. still a part of it too, but, um, but the vibration damping is also super important. What so, made you choose that material? I mean, or... yeah, so the, the material is um, also known as Dyneema and it's made of polyethylene and it's amazing material because it's, it doesn't require any coating. Well, first of all, you know, the strength to weight ratio is super, super good. It doesn't require a coating to, um, to prevent against UV damage or to prevent against solvent damage. The, this material is actually used in the has been used in the sailing, the shipping industry with you know huge ropes that can tow an oil tanker, and mm -hmm. it doesn't require anything to be outside in the sun, to be in the salt water, to be you know exposed to solvents all day, and it it yeah. doesn't degrade. So it's a really amazing material, but it's super super slippery, and that's what makes the bonding of it so difficult. And that's why that connection I was telling you about, where we connect, you know, where it's connected to that stainless steel rod is um is so important because it's really hard to bond to it but but um, some other neat things about our our spokes and our manufacturing process is we actually test every single spoke as part of the manufacturing process before the spoke goes out the door so so we've got special equipment that we've de we've developed here at bird to be able to produce the spokes and um as they go through that process the spokes actually get pulled to about 500 pounds of force during that process so it gets pulled to about double the force it'll ever see in a wheel, which which um, it stretches it out and and uh, lengthens it. But it also it also tests every single spoke. So you're you're never going to have a bond failure on a spoke. And in the last mm -hmm. couple hundred thousand spokes, we haven't seen a single failure of that bond, which is which I think is is really cool and really reassuring to to our customers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last time we talked, you were just you know kind of getting. I mean, at that point, you'd been maybe a couple of years, but, um, I think you, you said earlier, you started in 2015. Yeah. So we started in 2015. It was a, a, a part-time gig for our, for the founders. And, but, you know, really I should probably tell people we started in 2018 because that's when uh -huh. we really started selling our product at all. And uh -huh. then, um, you and I, I think we, we must've talked in 2020. Um, yeah. you know, we'd been selling you know, at that point we had in, in 2020, we still only had five of us. So, uh -huh. um, and so now we're up to, to 18. Um, oh, wow, man. You guys have really ramped up then, huh? Yep. Yep. What's that, what's that experience been like? It's, it's, um, things are always changing. So it's, um, you know, you're, you're never on top of anything. It's, it's, I mean, for me, it's super, super fun. That's, that's what I love to do. I love to, to solve new problems. Um, mm -hmm. it, we've, we've moved three times now from a smaller office to a, to a bigger office building. And now we've expanded here at this building. Um, we've ramped up our manufacturing, our employees, you know, we've learned how to, to get great employees that work for us and, um, you know, make people happy working here and, and keep them on as great employees. It's, um, there's definitely challenges in, in growing a small business, but it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, super, super fun as well. Where are you guys based out of? We're, we're in the, uh, just outside the Twin City. Well, we're in the Twin Cities metro area, um, just outside of Minneapolis and Hopkins. Oh, okay. So Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right on. Did you guys see like a bunch of issues with, with 
supply for you during during the COVID stuff or because I wasn't yeah. sure how like I know the bike industry was affected, but I didn't know if maybe where you're getting your your material for your spokes at if that wasn't so much. Well, um, so yes and no. So the um, the parts that were coming from the bike industry were especially affected. So so the other thing I should say is that we started with just wheel with I'm sorry with just spokes, right? I talked to you mm-hmm. already quite a bit about our spokes, but now we we have a full line of wheels, and that's mm-hmm. really our bread and butter is making, you know, not just lightweight spokes, but making super lightweight and strong vibration damping wheels for mm-hmm. mountain biking, gravel biking, road and everything else too. Um, but the the supply of hubs and rims, just like for everyone else in, in the bike industry was super challenging during COVID. And, and I think, you know, especially for us as a growing company, we had we have forecasts for our products and that we not only have to forecast this, the ever increasing lead time of ordering components, but also forecast the, you know, the growth of the company and combining those things, those two things together makes it, made it really challenging to keep up with that during COVID. And um, of course, that's all, it's all solved itself now. So all yeah, of those, yeah, bike industry are normal. The, um, the, the other half of our parts are outside of the bike industry. So the, the components that we use to produce our spokes are, um, you know, were, were pretty much unaffected during COVID. We didn't have so much of an issue with those. Right on. So um, you, you hadn't started the whole, whole wheel thing the last time. I, I think you might, uh, we might've talked about it maybe offline or something like that at the time. Yeah. So what, what was the process that you went through to make your first wheel set? Yeah, we well we've we've um, we've learned how to do a lot of testing here around wheels and um, especially for the development of a new design of our carbon fiber rims. So we um, the things that we had to learn to do here is uh, we do some really neat testing. We do tell me if I'm telling you too much, Robert. And you no, might, go for it. What, I, you're doing perfect. All the, you're all right. All the, all the, <laughs> the engineering. Sometimes it's a struggle whenever I get on here and I ask a question. Somebody's like, "Yeah, it was good." And yeah, like, it was oh, good. <laughs> we, we did it. We made some wheels. Um, so, so we do some neat things called uh, we do a test called torque fatigue testing. And uh-huh. in torque fatigue testing, what you do is you take a wheel and you you hold the rim with. We use a piece of webbing to hold the rim, so we prevent the rim from twisting. And then we connect a uh, a long bar to the to the either the center lock mount on a front hub or or the uh, the free hub body and a rear hub, and we put. Um, the amount of torque that you know Jasper Philipson would use in uh, in sprinting for the uh, you know for the win and the Tour de France, we put that amount of torque on the wheel. But then we do so it's, we put about 250 newton meters of torque on the wheel, and then we do that for 50,000 cycles. We do anywhere between 50 and 500,000 cycles. Some wheels will even go 500,000 cycles and they won't fail. Oh wow! And uh, what what that does is it, it tests our whole wheel system, and it's a really good simulation of of braking for a front wheel or for you know putting putting that torque on a rear wheel when you're in your you're in your biggest cog and you're climbing up that you know 45 degree incline on your mountain bike yeah. fully loaded. You know that's what it's really testing. So it tests the hub, the spokes, and um, it also tests the rim a little bit too. So 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 when we're developing when we've been developing new hubs, new rims, we've been using that test a lot. And, and the other thing that we do is we do a lot of impact testing. 
and that's especially important for for rims so mm -hmm. you know, we want to have the the highest strength to weight ratio rims we want to have lightweight rims but at the same time we're now offering a lifetime warranty on our on our on our mountain biking rims and um and so they need to hold up you know they need to hold yeah. up when uh, when you're sending it off of that cliff right and then you're in your case in the right. landing and so um so we we take a what's, a, what's that what's that warranty look like is just like anything happens kind of warranty or you said lifetime so yeah so if you're if you break your rim while while riding then we're going to replace your rim for free so mm -hmm. um so you you can send it to us um we'll charge you a little bit for labor to be able to you know swap out that rim and we'll send it back to you, you know, uh -huh. just like like brand new right so so we started with um we've got a, a few different suppliers we use for our our carbon fiber rims we don't actually produce the rims here ourselves but mm -hmm. we um we design the profile of the rims and our our newest generation of mountain bike wheels are called our hawk series wheels so we've got a, a hawk 27 a hawk 30. we decided to go with the the bird names for our, yeah, yeah, stick with it. our new <laughs> Seems like it's working which has been awesome. Yeah. So we've got a, a 27 millimeter internal rim and a 30 millimeter internal rim. And these new rims are a super low profile rim. So it's a, they're an 18 millimeter deep rim. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a very shallow rim. And what that does is that gives it more compliance when you're going um, over the trail. So it's, it's a mountain bike rim. It's 27 millimeter internal or 30 millimeters internal. It's got mm -hmm. that super low profile and it gives you more compliance, you know, when you hit a rock, when you hit a root um, and gives it even faster, smoother ride over rough terrain. Um, mm -hmm. so, so that's that was our big thing that we designed into this rim and, and that along with a wide rim lip. So the wide rim lip, that's the part where if you're you want to run 15 PSI in your mountain bike tires and, you know, you want to get more traction with low pressure then you hit hit that big rock you're going to compress the tire in between the rim and the rock and if you've got a just a small contact area there you're going to be more likely to cut your tire so the wide rim mm -hmm. lip is a four millimeter or 3.75 millimeter wide rim lip to to prevent those pinch flats mm -hmm. and then this, this rim, both of our Hawk rims are produced by We Are That's One. That's something you're starting to see a lot of different companies do as well. Like I know Envy, they yeah. have like a separate strip, but then I, I've seen a few other brands where they're starting to make it a little bit wider. And it's like one of those things yeah. where it's it's one of those things that when it happens, people are like, yeah, why, why, why weren't we doing this a long time ago? Like it just makes sense, you know, a little bit wider contact point so it doesn't push through the tire so easily. Yeah, we we asked our customers before we designed it to ask people if they think it's important. And, you know, most people, of course, that was an Instagram poll, right? But most people right. told us that, you know, that 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 is something that that's important to them and that they yeah. you know, they definitely appreciate. Um, so the, the the cool thing, though, about our newest rims is that they're produced by We Are One Composites in Canada. And mm -hmm. We Are One is a super great manufacturer of carbon fiber components. They've got their their mountain bikes now as well, in addition to the rims that they produce, you know, for their own wheels. Um, mm -hmm. But they're just, they're such a great company to work with. And they're, they're in North America, you know, which is awesome, which means we're not, we're not shipping those rims overseas. We're, mm -hmm. you know, it's a definitely a more environmentally sustainable process of shipping, not to mention um, their production. 
processes mm -hmm. that they do too. So it's a really great partnership. Yeah, yeah. I remember last time that we were talking, one of the struggles that you you guys were having was you know getting people trained on how to to lace your wheels because if i remember correctly there was like some modifications that would have to be done to the hubs how yeah. how has that changed over the last few years yeah that that's a great question um so that's the other piece that's been going into our wheels is um some new hub technology too so we are the the great thing about our spokes is that they do work with almost all standard hubs so standard J-Bend hubs, standard um, straight pull hubs, like a DT Swiss tangential straight pull hub. Um, the, the downside of those hubs though with our spokes is that they do have to be prepared to be able to use with bird spokes. Mm -hmm. And the sharp corners that are present on the hubs after machining, which typically aren't a problem with metal spokes, become an issue if they're not removed before lacing the spokes into the hub. So in the in the straight pull hubs, that that process is actually you don't have to do anything to the hubs. We actually have this little insert that goes inside the hub to prevent it from um, you know the, where the head of the spoke sits on um, mm -hmm. on the insert, so you don't have to do anything to those. But J bend hubs, that's the that's what most people use, and that's a it is a somewhat. So was that little in, that little insert that you guys created was that something that came up over time? Because I don't remember us talking about that before. Yeah, that, that was something that after, you know, testing and customer data, uh -huh. we decided to, to, to develop that to make it so that there is, you know, no possible way the head of that spoke right. is going to get going to get. So regardless of whether or not they do a good job of cleaning it up or not, like this was your way to like ensure that it's going to work no matter what. Exactly. The, the process for building with tangential straight pull hubs is pretty foolproof. It's, uh -huh. um, you know, it's what's the little cup made out of. It, it, so it's a stainless steel. We call it a donut. So it's uh -huh. a it's a, it's a very small donut and not quite as delicious as a regular donut. But it's only <laughs> you know it's just four millimeters wide. It's just with a tiny little hole in it. And uh -huh. and the the head of our spoke gets threaded through that before it gets pulled into the um, or you know as as it gets pulled into the hub, it gets threaded through that and then uh -huh. it, it fits there permanently inside of the counterbore inside the the hub hole. Yeah. Yeah. So then you were saying something about the J-Bend is a, like a, something a little different there? Yeah, so so on J-Bend hubs, you have to use our, we have a what we call our builder's toolkit, and it mm -hmm. comes with two tools that you have to use to remove the sharp corners. So it's a it's something called a corner rounding end mill. It's a bit that kind of creates a radius around the hub holes. And then there's a, a polishing bit as well. So you, you first mm -hmm. go to all the holes, both sides of both hub flanges on every single hole, you remove those sharp corners by creating that radius. And then you use this, this rubber polishing bit to then polish the holes afterwards. And that mm -hmm. you know, that removes the sharp corners, ensures that you don't have, are gonna have any issues down the line. And that that's that's definitely the part of the process that takes the most training, um, you know, get takes some getting used to, to be good at doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we have, you know, we've got 300, you know, bicycle shops in the United States who are, you know, who are building with our spokes. And so, and, and, you know, consumers build with our spokes mm -hmm. sometimes as well. So it's definitely something that's, that you can do and is manageable, but it's, yeah. it's more, definitely a more time consuming process. So it, it doesn't sound like that process would affect if you wanted to go back to using metal spokes again. No, no, we get that question all the time. And the amount of material it removes is very, very small. 
it's it's removing essentially no materials material um god forbid if you ever wanted to go back to metal spokes you could right yeah. um we don't we don't get many of those customers who say i want to build a wheel set with you and then and then later on decide that they're going to go back to uh to metal spokes yeah i was thinking in my mind and, and i guess this probably wouldn't happen but like if they were like oh i wanted to get a different set of hubs or i want to reuse the spokes like but i guess the spoke spoke length is really it would be unlikely that you would actually be able to buy another hub that had like the same exact spoke length or something but who knows anyways that was kind of my thought process was like is if if you were like going to sell the hub or switch something out then it wouldn't be like hey this is the only way you can use this with bird yeah no we that's a good question though because we get that question a lot yeah. um as well so the the really neat thing that we've done though for our stock wheel sets and now for selling to other customers is um, is what we call hook flange hubs. So I don't, I don't know if you've seen uh, pictures of these or if we showed you at Sea Otter, but um, the hook flange hubs were first developed in partnership with Onyx. So Onyx, which is a great hub manufacturer, they're here actually here in Minnesota, just about 45 minutes north of us. Um, and they make wonderful hubs. They made the first hook flange hubs for our spokes. And instead of having holes, the, the hubs have um, what looks like a boat anchor cleats. You know, they've just mm -hmm. got cleats on the on the hub flange and the spokes hook right onto the cleats without needing to, to do any of the hub prep process and without needing to pull the spokes through the hub holes and then secure them with the little rods that we normally would use to secure the spokes into the hub flange. So mm -hmm. now, now you get rid of the entire preparation process and the lacing process is so fast because you take two spokes, you loop them together, hook them on the hub, put them, bring them to the rim, and you know you can lace the whole wheel in 15 minutes without you know, without an issue, and then and then you true it mm -hmm. after that. So the the hook flange hubs started with Onyx, with our limited edition made in Minnesota fat bike wheels, which we've done now for uh, for three seasons. That's a collaboration with Head, uh, you know Head Cycling Products in Roseville, yeah. Minnesota. Um, with their their um, big deal fat bike rims or carbon fat bike rims, and then with Onyx in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and it's a you know entirely made in Minnesota, you know, spokes, rims, hubs. I think I think the the nipples come from overseas, so you know we say made in Minnesota. It's we'll say yeah. it's say ninety nine percent made in Minnesota. Right. Right? We'll just slide on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and uh so so those hubs started with that and they they were you know they've, they've been really successful um with the made in minnesota fat bike wheels so then onyx decided to launch those in all versions of their hubs so now um, now you can go to onyx's website and you can buy hook flange onyx hubs made specifically for bird spokes where you know you can get whatever color you like you can get them for a road for a mountain bike Onyx yeah. is great too because if you've got an older bike and you've got you know a, a kind of a funny spacing or something you know a little bit less common, they do all of the different configurations and most of those are available with the the hook flange hubs, um, and so people have been really really excited about that. We've got yeah. uh, you know a lot of consumers who like doing that bike bike shops especially right because now instead of having to go through that that um, that process of preparing the hubs, the you know the extra time of lacing the wheels, they can do it really quickly. Mm -hmm. So that go ahead. Yeah, I've seen those. I think you guys have your something similar with i9 as well too now, right? 
So not with I-9. So, you know, after we get off this call, if you wanted to send I-9 an email and say... Hey, guys, <laughs> Anybody you know listening, what? send them an email. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I would love to see you guys make hook flange hubs. And I, I would love to see Industry 9 make hook flange hubs. They've been... Um, Industry 9, I think, had had a bit of growth during COVID. And they, they have really... Um, they've been busy. You know, they've been yeah. really busy with filling orders and producing their hubs. And... And so, you know, taking on another project and making hook flange hubs for us just hasn't been a priority of theirs. But um, yeah, whoever's listening, if you want to, okay. you know, all, all those all those I nine fans, if you want to, you want to tell them how much you'd love to see hook flange hubs with bird spokes, then uh, right. Then, so, know, are you using the the um, the the Vesper hub on your your wheel builds, or do you have your own proprietary hub? Yeah, so now, so now we've got another option. So our our other option is our bird talent hubs. So we we just came out with these hubs earlier this year, and it's a hub that um, that we're producing. Uh, these hubs are produced overseas, mm -hmm. and they are a super super nice um, durable hub with the star ratchet mechanism. So it's mm -hmm. the the two piece ratchet mechanism. Just like um, the you know like DT Swiss hubs, and we have them in both 36 tooth and a 54 tooth ratchet, and um, and these hubs now we're using for a lot of our our stock wheel yeah. set builds, and um, you know the the biggest the biggest benefit of these is really that um, you know it does give our customers that the option of the the tried and true technology of the ratchet, which is mm -hmm. you still see it over and over again. And um, and it also allows us to sell those wheels for a little bit less than the Industry 9 or the the Onyx wheels. Yeah, I would imagine, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I know that the price of your spokes would was one of the things that initially is is kind of like a, a tough pill for people to swallow. I think it's like, is it 800 for a set, something like that? Yeah, if you're doing if you're doing wheel rebuilding, so say you send us your wheels, you want us to replace your spokes um, with bird spokes, it's about six to eight hundred dollars depending right. on how many spokes you have. Yeah. So what I was thinking, what, what I was thinking was, if you're doing your own hub and you're doing your own hoop, you can kind of like maybe work some of that savings of you doing your your own stuff into the cost, so then it doesn't make the the, the spokes feel so so expensive is that accurate or yeah for sure and and we've you know we've definitely tried to do that and we've um we get good feedback on the the value of our wheels a lot um compared to to the other wheel brands that you have out there selling high-end mountain bike wheels road wheels gravel wheels the price of our wheels is in line or less than those but at the same time you're getting bird spokes you're getting a lighter wheel set and so you know some of the some of the big reviews that we've had come out say you know the spokes are expensive but the wheel sets are a great deal and so we've yeah. really tried to to do our best to you know to make the cost of the wheels reasonable and um, make sure our customers really appreciate the the value that they get in them yeah definitely um Shoot, I just lost my train of thought. There goes that one. <laughs> so when whenever you had started with, with the, the wheel set, um, were you thinking that like mountain bikes was going to be your, your main audience or did you start with road or what, which direction did you guys start out? 
Well, we've with everything we've done, we've we've done it to match what our customers are asking for. And mm -hmm. so we early on, we got a lot of requests for for mountain bike wheels. And so that mountain biking has just has definitely taken off as our biggest segment because of that. Mm -hmm. um, with gravel being the second biggest and gravel is growing, has been growing a lot. Um, and so that's how we got started with it. You know, any any of our, our rims, our wheels that we've developed, the hubs that we've used have all come from from the feedback from our customers. And, you know, when we get somebody that calls and says, hey, you know, I, I would love to see you guys offer this. We take that into account and then and then, you know, develop those products yeah. accordingly. So when you started with your spokes, were you just like, hey, I'm making spokes for any kind of, of biking or did you start with one kind of like discipline first? No, we, we started with um, with, you know, everything. I mean, we did we did road and fat bike wheels early on. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, being from from Minnesota, I get this false sense of the size of the fat biking community. I think it's kind of yeah. funny because fat biking in Minnesota is so popular, you know, right. in, in the winter, especially. Right. And there's, yeah. there's a lot of great trails around here to ride um, and we get we get snow and the snow is typically is you know stays around all winter long and winter winter for us is sometimes six months you know? right so right yeah we, no totally. we've got a good we've got that we've got a good climate for it for sure and not to mention we've got you know we've got qbp here in the twin cities who have helped popularize that biking um but then i went to Eurobike, and and i realized that that this is like the fat biking mecca of the entire world. And, you know, I'm sure somebody in the comments will probably correct me and say, you know, tell me I'm wrong. But 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 um, I didn't I didn't realize that until I got out, you know, a little bit out of the office to find out that <laughs> this, you know, the Midwest is, is definitely a hot spot for fat biking and it's not quite as popular. Elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, out here where I live, I'm, there's some some friends that I have that live in Tahoe where it snows in the winter and they, they do it. But honestly, like I can ride pretty much regular trails all year. So it, the, the worst thing that we have out here is like fires and rain, you know, and it's like and it doesn't rain very often. The fires, I'd probably say, put more of a damping, a damper on my riding than anything like weather wise, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting, though. It's it's funny when you, you think about those things like geographically, there's there's definitely a lot of. Um, different things going on all over, so I didn't really think about the Midwest, though, being being the spot, though, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Were you uh, were you a person that's in into fat biking before you started bird? Uh, no, I'm not. I've never been much of a, a fat biker myself. I was a uh, I was a roadie in um, in college. I started road bike riding and racing and i did it uh -huh. through, through grad school at the penn state um collegiate cycling team and then um since then though i've gotten much more into to mountain biking and so yeah. that's that's definitely my my favorite thing to do and here in in minnesota it's probably not exactly the same type of mountain biking that um that you do but uh we yeah. i do a lot of cross-country mountain biking and we've got I have a buddy that that's uh from Minnesota that moved out here a few years ago and and he he would tell me like he'd go on you know some big long ride and it was if if he got 500 feet elevation it would be like dude that was a huge ride man we did a lot of elevation and it's like yeah yeah he tells his buddies now he's like yeah we rode 5000 feet today and they're like what <laughs> they're like that's what we rode all year you know? 
yeah, there's not a, there's not a lot of use for um, for much more than a you know than a cross country mountain bike around here. I've right. got a hundred millimeters of travel, and and that's uh, that's plenty. We've got yeah. we we happen to have a, a new trail system um, just a couple of miles away from Bird here in Hopkins. So so we go out and do lunch rides. Um, I've been doing them a lot, two or three times a, a week at the at the mountain bike right. trail. It's, That's awesome. It's been, it's been fun. We've been getting more people at Bird, more employees into into biking. You know, That's good. This. What um what inspired you originally to get in the spoke game? It was just like you wanted to work in the bike industry, and you're like, what can I come up with? Or was it you know, something I, that was bothering you for a long time? My whole life, Robert, all I wanted to do is just make a better spoke. <laughs> Ever since I was a kid, I said, how can right. I make a better spoke? <laughs> No, um, <laughs> I, my background is in chemical engineering. So I have a, I have a PhD in chemical engineering and, and as part of my, my graduate research, I, I did do work with materials. So I have a, a pretty good knowledge of material science as, as part of that. But, but honestly, the, the idea came from, um, so I, I co-founded the company, first of all, with two, two others, Brad and Kyle, uh, we were all friends during grad school. We're still friends. Um, we, at the time we were, we were all biking. So we recognized the value of having lightweight components. Um, at the same time, we were doing a lot of slacklining. Have you okay. ever slacklined before? I have not. I, I, I don't think I have the balance for it. I think the beer belly <laughs> throws me off. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I was into it in grad school and I, I did a lot of research into the best materials for slackline. So. If you're if you're doing really long slack lines, you want a really high strength, low weight material. And at the time, people were just starting to use Dyneema for slack lines. Okay. And um, and so somehow and uh, somehow we you know we just connected the two and said, what if we could make a spoke out of this material? And it it does for a lot of people and for us at the time when we first came up with the idea, it didn't even make sense. You know how can you how can you have something that's flexible? you know, that's just like a rope when it's sitting on the table and then you put it into a wheel and and it makes a strong, stiff wheel just like steel. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that that it, spokes don't need any compressive strength. All they need is to be strong in tension. And, yeah, and once you put it, strength, right. it, exactly, once you put it in tension, uh, a, a spoke that's flexible when it's sitting on the table acts just the same as a spoke that is stiff because they're always in tension they never, and they never go out of tension. Yeah. So. Huh. That's interesting. So then next thing you know, what, what, what was the process from the idea to actually getting to the point? Cause obviously you had to come up with the way to bond it to the, the little nipple. Right. So yeah, you guys were like, now this is a great idea, but how do we solve this problem? Yeah. Yeah. We had, we actually had a lot of ideas at that time during graduate school. We, we really, um, Brad and Kyle and I really wanted to, you know, be able to start a company and we just had, we didn't know what we were going to do. So we, we would come up with a lot of ideas. And what's, what's kind of funny is that the, at the same time we came up with the spoke idea, our other idea at the time, and by the way, anyone who's listening, who wants to take this can, I, we didn't patent it. Um, the other idea we had at the time was to inject peanut butter into the middle of bananas so that when you open them up and you take a bite into it, it's already got peanut butter inside. I mean, how 
How I feel like that's pretty damn, pretty damn ingenious. <laughs> now <laughs> so, I'm wondering why you guys got into the spoke game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so, so what we did at the, at the time is we actually, we made, we worked on making prototypes for both of them side by side. So we made a prototype for a peanut butter filled banana and we made a prototype for the spoke. So the banana, we got a, we got a needle, uh, you know, a hollow steel needle and uh -huh. we curved the needle at just the right curvature to try to match most bananas curves. Of course, you know, all bananas have a different, have a different curvature. So it's hard <laughs> to match every single one. Right. But we, we, we made the injector and then with a syringe. Yeah. And you also have to have the right consistency of peanut butter, right? You've got right. To figure oh my out. God. And we actually, we did it. We made some bananas where we, you put the syringe in it, it helps actually put it in, take the core out, put it back in again, and then inject the peanut butter and then, you know, open it up and, and do it. So, so, so I didn't answer your question yet. Cause that's how, that's how we made the peanut butter banana, but I didn't tell you how we, <laughs> how we made the spoke. Um, so wait, I'm going to say something about the banana. <laughs> I didn't know this. My, uh, my, my wife works in produce. And I didn't know this my entire life. I always grab the like top stem part of the banana and just yank on that to open it up. And yeah. she's like, yeah, you know, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, what do you mean? She's mm -hmm. like, even monkeys do it the other way. You, you're supposed to open it from the bottom. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> totally didn't know. Did you know that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just, I just learned that recently too. I had, you <laughs> tell me that. Yeah. Yeah. Blew my mind. Anyways, so how was the banana? Was it, it, it was like, this is really good, but I feel like this is too much work with all the different bins. That's why you decided it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the banana was delicious, but you know, there's, <laughs> I've, I've heard that the, um, the, the grocery industry is a really hard industry to get into and it's low margins. And yeah. you know, there, there was still a lot of unanswered questions, Robert, you know, we didn't do yeah. any market analysis. We didn't know, we didn't know how, what the expiration of these things would be, you know, whether or not right. you inject banana and you've got one minute to eat it, or if you, you know, right. if it can, if it can sit on or you just sell the tool, you just sell the tool and then everybody does it like the apple core. Yeah. yeah. So I, I fully expect to see those come out now that I've, I've given that idea to everybody who's, you know, listening and might yeah. ever listen to this podcast. I would hope so. Yeah. So, so back uh, to the spokes. <laughs> yeah. So that was the banana, but the, the spoke, you know, what we did is we, we um, we had to work with some some suppliers to help get the material that we needed to make the spokes, and um, we definitely went through some some variations of trying to get the right material for the spoke, and then and then we just started trying things. And so at first we tried just essentially tying a knot or putting a, a loop like an eye splice, like you would if you were using yeah. the rope for rigging a sailing boat or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind is like tie a knot and then just make the flange, like the little hub, like little spoke nipple a little bigger and fit the knot in there and it doesn't fit through and you're good to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we tried putting basically, we tried putting loops on both sides. So one, we had one loop connect to the hub and then on the other end we had a, um, we just took a, a really, really short J bend spoke and it had a, so it had a hook on it and we, you know, we hooked the spoke onto the end of that. And um, that that was our first prototype, and I I mm -hmm. still have a video of that where where um, you know we made that in my apartment. Kyle and I made a wheel like that, and we we drove it around the parking lot. And I've got about a, a 15 second video of me riding it, and then the video cuts out. And because you know one second after that, one spoke broke, and then three spokes broke, and the whole wheel you yeah, know the whole wheel fell apart. apart. <laughs> so, 
so we knew that to make it work, you know, to make it both aerodynamic, to make it lightweight, to make it strong, it, we had to find a better way to connect the the rope to the spoke. And um, and I I wish I remember exactly what Kyle said, but Kyle said, you know, Kyle said, Charlie, I've got a great idea. Just do it like this. And um, you know, he 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 had an idea for how we could connect the things. And I said, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. And I made it. And I and it. And it, it was the design that we're doing now where that, you know, we've got this rod inside the braided fiber. It uses that Chinese finger trap effect to, to do a lot of the holding power. There's a there's a bonding agent there, too. But that that does a lot of that that holding power. And I showed it to Kyle and he said, that's not what I said. That's you, you misinterpreted what I said. Um, and so it was in that way, it was an accident because I had I thought that Kyle had said, you know, do it like this. And, yeah. and I misinterpreted that. And then it turns out that it was this this amazingly strong connection and we we didn't have the you know the equipment and the tools that was back in 2015 when we first had the idea and made those prototypes we didn't have the equipment or tools that you know the fancy machines that we have now to be able to test that so yeah what we did is we had a we had a uh, a tree in the backyard where we we hung a spoke from it uh-huh. with a carabiner and then we put a platform and we piled weights on there and we piled 690 pounds of weights we just kept putting you know, cinder blocks and 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 uh, and weightlifting plates. You know, on there until we got. I know there had to be a person involved at one point or another, right? You got to put a person on there. Oh yeah, well, I mean that was no problem, right? And and then you know once we figured out how strong that that connection was that we we had come up with is when we realized that this was you know it was it was definitely promising. Right. And so we then you just had to we, check the copyright on the Chinese finger lock and make sure that was expired. Like yeah, years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. So we, you know, so we submitted a patent for it then, and um, and now we have a, a U.S. patent on the design and a um, and patents in in multiple European countries. Which actually, so that was in 2015. Our European patents were granted on July 5th of this year. Oh wow! So it yeah, was it, it was eight years in the making for the the international patents, whereas the the U.S. one was was a few years ago or, or so. How does that work if somebody started trying to do it ahead of time, like before your patent like went through? What you do when you have a pending patent is you put patent pending on your pro- your products to let people know that you have mm-hmm. a patent pending on the technology. And um, and then there are ways where, you know, if somebody, if somebody starts using something um, before your patent gets granted, you can, you can, um, you know, as long as you've given them that notice that the patent yeah. is pending, you sent them a letter, then you can, you if they continue doing that, you can go back and and get uh, royalties. Yeah, what a mess! That I'm sure that's like you're one of those things where you're like, man, I mean, obviously you went through the patent process, so you're c- concerned that somebody would want to try to copy it. So, like, I would imagine it's a little nerve wracking to think about somebody potentially like copying your product like that. Yeah, the the other really neat thing about our product, and I already told you a little bit about it, is the the manufacturing process of our mm-hmm. product. And so, our spokes are not something that you can call your local metal stamper, or you mm-hmm. can you know you can bring to an injection molder, or you know some some normal manufacturing process and just have somebody make. They yeah. are super super challenging to make, and especially not both reliably and at the specified lengths that you want to produce mm-hmm. them at so we were i don't remember if i told you this last time but we 
we actually got a grant from the National Science Foundation. Uh, we mm -hmm. got we got two grants from them through this program called the Small Business Innovation Research Program. That's right. Where we were given funding to develop a a new manufacturing process to create our spokes, and um, it turns out it can also be used for some other some other products too. Um, so we 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 received a lot of R and D funding to produce to produce our you know to do research to develop the equipment, and what that allows us to do is make produce all the spokes here in Minnesota, you know, in the United States, which I think uh -huh. is really neat. If you compare that to most every other bicycle component that you buy, you know, especially from Trek, Specialized, yeah. Giant, you know, all those companies, those are, parts are going to be produced in Taiwan and China. Yeah. For, you know, by far the majority. So do you work with the, the like, the, the company that creates that rope? That, would you call it, is Dyna, I think is what you called it? Yeah, so so Dyneema is the um, Dyneema. Actually, I was a, a product developed by DSM in the Netherlands, and what that is is it's the raw fibers themselves. And oh, so okay. the fibers themselves are, you know, and that's before the fibers were braided, and they are in inside of our spoke. Our spoke has twelve, so we take twelve strands and we braid them together. And then in mm -hmm. each strand, there's a whole bunch of little tiny fibers, um, mm -hmm. about a fifth the size of a, of your hair, and so those that raw material that's what's coming from um, you know from Dyneema. So do you then you have found like a manufacturer that was already creating like slack lines or like boat stuff, and you're you, you just come to them and you say, hey, this is kind of the size and the dimensions that I want, or did you have to come up with the whole process to like make it into a spoke all on your own? Yeah, well, so now we've got, you know, we've got a whole suite of different things that we do um, uh -huh. all part, you know, and it's it and most of it is all trade secret. Now, the way in which we yeah. use our spokes, the way in which, you know, we, got it. we do that, you know, there's some 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 things are more similar to other industries like braiding, whereas, you know, other things that we do, the bonding um, yeah. and, the you know, the creation of the loops on our spokes are just are because of the size and the way way in which we do it and then the. the the adhesives and things that we use it's a really unique process that that we you know we hold secret and so this so this you guys are doing that at at bird yeah with so you're getting the raw materials and then you guys are are turning them into spokes at your own yeah. manufacturing right yeah we don't produce the the you know we don't produce the the raw material itself but then every everything yeah. else you know, we do all that production here and that that, right. that of course that's the the time-consuming part, the you know, big a big cost of our spoke is the the labor component. But but right. I do think it's really cool that that you know that when people are buying our spokes from us, they are you know that money is going to to those 18 employees who work here yeah. in in Minnesota and uh, you know creating jobs here in the United States, which I think is really cool. Yeah, but I think that's awesome. Your your original comment was um, you know can other people just what does our patent do to stop other people from making our spokes? And that was a really long answer to tell you that um, the manufacturing of the spokes is super critical and super difficult. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we've got really great ways to produce those spokes, which, which also, you know, those trade secrets that we have as part of our, our yeah. manufacturing process, um, you know, help, help, helps us, you know, keep our spokes, um, you know, 
prevent other people from even wanting to attempt to, to yeah yeah no i totally understand i work for a, a robotics company and we don't have patents on a lot of our stuff because our, our founder original founder there's so much r d that would go into us creating something that by the time somebody else could figure it out we're already making something else so it's like not worth the the cost or the time process to go through that that patent it, situation but it's it's always interesting yep. to hear you know i mean everybody has some some different you know variables in their business so it it definitely would make sense i mean how long does that last isn't there only like there's a time limit on it right on the patent yeah 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 um great question i, sh I feel like i should know the answer to that question yeah. it's it's about 20 years yeah yeah and i think different industries have different time limits as well it's like you know let's just say music has you know it can not be copyrighted for so long or you know this product whatever is this amount of time so I, i'm pretty sure they're different for different things as well yeah and then you know we have the patent and we also have um we, we have a couple other pending patents as well for some new technologies of ours and then we have um you know like most companies we have copyrights on on and some of our our brand you know mm -hmm. terms like yeah. bird right so yeah yeah and just use the name bird and and which would confuse customers who are who are trying to buy our product yeah and then freaking sram swooped in and stole eagle from you guys before you could get it huh i know right <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, it is honestly it's really challenging to use bird names in the bike industry because um you know, we when as we've de been developing our new products, we you know we do want to use bird names for them, and so we you know we talk to some of our customers or employees and get some feedback on the names we have. But then you know you you Google any bird name in the word bike, and it'll come up with something. And so it's just oh, yeah. it's whether or not it's relevant enough, and whether or not someone is is going to be genuinely confused if the product is similar enough, where they you know if, if they search for eagle and um and instead of find in their you know they're, they're looking for sram and then they find our wheels then um so might not be so happy about that and yeah and there, it might work out for you guys team, though yeah, their, their legal team could be could be bigger than ours as well yeah probably that, huh? wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me right right just bury you in litigation until you're over it right <laughs> so um i would imagine that when your stuff first came out with the dampening that like the hardtail kind of market was probably like super interested huh yeah for sure i mean people with uh who are riding hardtails say you know putting bird spokes on my bike is like um you know is like converting my hardtail into a full suspension in in terms of you know the feeling and the fatigue that you get over a long ride because mm -hmm. you know, to be clear the the spokes don't provide suspension, right? You, if you go over a speed bump, you're still going over the speed bump, you know, right. even even with the spokes. But what they do do is that after you go over that speed bump, you know, you hit that bump, your bike is vibrating. And what they do is they cut down on those vibrations. So you get right. you get the same sort of effect in terms of the smoothness and the vibration that you get, um, you know, with a hardtail with bird spokes as you would get with a, a full suspension bike right and that's the feedback we get sometimes from our our customers yeah it'd be real that that it's that's very interesting to me i mean one of the reasons that i built my last hardtail with the 27.5 plus was just for that little bit of extra suspension so 
being able to not have to ride that big wheel and maybe get the same kind of benefit out of it would be that'd be a big plus to me i would imagine then also you said that gravel is one of your bigger markets that would make a lot of sense to me because it's really like i mean that's the reason people were buying like titanium and stuff like that it's just to get a a little bit more dampening you know but still have strength and kind of seems like you're falling right into that sweet spot there yeah and you you see the new companies you know you see trucks new gravel bikes with the suspension built into the you know into the connection between the seat post and the frame and and so other companies are trying to do the same you know the same type of thing with in in other ways with with the bikes so mm -hmm. it's definitely something that people are asking for and um oh go ahead there's a considerable amount of weight difference as well right so wouldn't i don't know if that if because of the weight being in the spokes does that affect the rotational weight much or um you would you would probably be better suited to answer that than my, me over here just making guesses yeah no you're you're definitely right so uh weight in your wheels is can be thought of as almost doubly important as weight on your frame because mm -hmm. not only do you have to get that weight going so you you have to you know get it going with uh, your translational inertia. So just moving, you've got to get it moving in a straight line, but on the wheels, you also have to get it rotating. So there's, there's you know, two components of the inertia and in getting your bike going when you have that weight on the, the wheels. So wheel weight is, you know, I think there's no doubt that wheel weight is more important than, than weight on your frame. And yeah. especially if you're, you know, if you're reducing your wheel, wheel weight without, compromise in terms of strength or durability or you know and also get the getting the, the vibration damping that's 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 the value proposition of our product well then i think you hit it again with the hubs then because even that little bit i mean you guys are removing more material out of the hub than a, a standard like spoke hole would be yeah to, to be fair the hubs are of similar weight right yeah um, you know and and i think you're right that if you compared the onyx hubs to the onyx hook flange hubs they would be a little bit lighter um onyx hubs you know are a little bit on the the heavier end but our our new our, our talon hubs are 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 definitely lighter than those at the yeah with the are you are, what's your process of trying to get other hub companies to to like get on board you know hub hub companies typically I mean, what I found is that they take, they like to take feedback from many of their customers. And so, you know, so that again, I'm going to go back to it, Robert, this is why yeah. you, you need to, to ask industry nine to see if they'd be willing to do it as well. But no, I, you know, Onyx, the great thing is Onyx works with a lot of other companies too. They work, um, they, they have a good relationship with Millbowl who makes nice wheels in Canada. And, um, and so, so we'd been asking them if they'd be willing to make the, the hook flange hubs and Millbowl was asking them and they, they they saw the demand from their customers as well and so then then they made the decision that that it was worth it for them and i think yeah i actually think, have my first set of onyx wheels um sitting in a box right next to me i'm i'm getting ready to put them on a new build and um i've never ridden them before so i'm a little bit i'm not sure i'm not sure what to think yet so i'm excited to try them out yeah you'll love them uh, onyx makes wonderful hubs the the silent and the the instantaneous engagement of the free hub mechanism is awesome. 
Yeah. Somebody told me that the way that it feels when it engages feels a little different. Like yeah. it takes like a little bit to get used to. And so I think once they said that, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. You know, like people, we don't like change, right? You know? Yeah, it's 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 different and it's it's um it's instantaneous and then there's there's just a little bit of um of less stiffness in the engagement where it's it kind of um I don't I don't think squishy is the right word word because I yeah. think that makes it that makes it sound bad, right? But yeah. it it's um you know it's instantaneous and smooth um versus the the you know the clunkiness you know you're you're not going to be you know how you kind of wind your feet back and you push them forward and you get that clunk 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 you yeah. know of the the normal um free hub mechanism you're not going to feel that you're going to feel uh you know a soft hit when you yeah. when you hit your pedals like that yeah 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 it'll be it'll be definitely interesting to 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 try out i always explain those hubs similar to how you were talking about your flanges because that their mechanism is similar it's like the chinese finger kind of thing too right uh great question i feel yeah. like i should know the answer to that yeah i'm pretty sure that's how they're they're like their their processes it kind of closes down like the same kind of idea but um yeah that's rad so um where are you seeing the most sales at as far as like like what kind of uh of biking are you still like predominantly mountain biking or we yeah we are um what i haven't mentioned yet is we've got a brand new set of um brand new wheel coming out for gravel which is going to be really exciting and you are the first to know about this robert we yeah, haven't right even on. we haven't even launched it and of course everyone else is who's watching but we've got um a new set of wheels coming out in um in late september or early october and they're for gravel biking and they'll be offered with our new talon hubs for um gravel and road right now our talon hubs are only in boost spacing for mountain mm -hmm. biking so we've got those coming out they're they're lighter um they've got a smaller hub flange for gravel and then we have a brand new rim that is a um, it's a lighter rim than any rim that we sell now. And we uh -huh. already saw an unbelievably lightweight gravel rim, but at the same time, it's got a 25 millimeter internal width and it has a mid hook on it. So it has a small hook to the rim, which means, um, instead of just being a pure gravel rim, you know, where you've got to keep low pressures, like you know, under 40 PSI, you can actually uh -huh. run it up to 70 PSI. Oh, so wow. you can put, you know, you can put tires as, as small as 28 millimeter tires on there at 70 PSI, and you can be flying on the road with it as well as, um, as well as gravel. And so that's, that's another one of those things where we, we've got, got that feedback from our customers that they wanted to see on our gravel wheels. They wanted the ability to be able to run those, you know, one day on gravel, the next day on the road. And at the same time, there's no there's no detriment in just using it for pure gravel either. You know, yeah. so you can use it for just gravel or cyclocross, whatever you want. Um, but it's got that wider width, it's lighter. So we're we're super excited about the new the new gravel wheels. And they're yeah, they're I'm sure that I mean I definitely fell into that same spot with my my last gravel bike because I could I would put on like slicks and then I could still run those at a pretty decent um pressure and then i could put the the gravel tires on as well because the alloy wheels that i had you could do either or 
So it was nice to be able to run the really slick tires at a higher pressure. So I think that's definitely, um, I, I, when I got my, my new, um, gravel bike, I just assumed that I could put in higher, higher pressure because I, I'm not, you know, I don't really consider myself a roadie or a gravel bike person. So I, it's kind of like what I do just for like cross training or like to hang out with the wife who likes to do it. And so I don't really put much time into like knowing the technology, you know? And, uh, when I got it and they were like, yeah, you can't put more than 40. And I was like, 40, what? <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's super cool that you guys, that you guys developed that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're definitely really excited about it. So, so, I mean, at this point, you guys have a whole fleet of wheels, uh, whether it's a um, mountain bike that you're looking for or um, even road. You, you said you have road as well as, as gravel? Yep. Yeah, we've got our road. We've got our, our wheels called the RD35 wheels. So it's a 35 millimeter deep road rim. Um, mm -hmm. And then we've got our, our current gravel wheels are our GBX22 or GBX25. So the 22 millimeter internal, 25 millimeter mm -hmm. internal but um, those will be largely replaced by the new, our new gravel wheel coming out this fall. And then, and then our newest generation mountain bike wheels are the Hawk, those are the Hawk wheels. So mm -hmm. um, the Hawk 30 can go, you know, is good for tires, um, you know, in that 2.6 to 2.8 range, if you want to go real wide in a mountain bike tire. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then, you know, we do limited edition fat bike things too, for all those, but yeah. you know, that huge fat biking industry and, in the yes yeah. i i would think that the road biking like community would really be grabbing onto this because of the weight savings it's like that to me like weight is huge in the road road industry and it it doesn't sound like that's like the the biggest market for you though right now why do you think that is that, yeah that's a good question we've had a lot of really good um good partners and people who have come out, you know, the, these people on YouTube. So let's see, um, Seth at Burn Peak, right? Seth did a, a video on our spokes and, you know, got a million views or something. And, um, and you know, Seth is into mountain biking, of course. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we've had, we've had these, um, all these people hear about us through mountain biking, through Seth, mm -hmm. through, through, um, through Sid and Mackie. They've, they have an amazing YouTube channel and they've been riding yeah. our, our wheels now for over a year um and we've had uh th this year actually a probably a less well-known one is enrique avancini um who's a um you know professional mountain biker his team is all racing on our spokes this year through a collaboration uh -huh. with um ninth wave which has been they're a, they're a wheel company in the netherlands um but so we've had all of these you know this great mountain biking exposure and then you know then then on the gravel biking side uh, we have the Mazda Lauf team, um, which is a professional United States-based um, mm -hmm. racing team. They've been doing awesome. Um, Leah Vanderlinden is doing really good overall in the Lifetime Grand Prix this year on our, you know, on our wheels, which is a as a combination of gravel and mm -hmm. mountain bike races. Um, and just and the the road scene, it's it's not quite the same as the gravel and mountain biking. You know, what are the what are the big YouTube channels in the United States doing um, doing road bike riding? I don't. I just don't think that the the interest is there as much with yeah. the, you know with yeah. our generation of riders. 
Yeah, I don't know what it, I mean. I I don't look for road biking videos, but I would imagine that it's less like like you can't do ride videos as much because that would just be boring. Like, hey, I'm going down this road for an hour, you know, like you know what I mean. So I, I would imagine that you could have videos that are on you know the products and stuff like that. There's got to be some bigger channels out there. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, so, there's you know, there's there's GCN, which is yeah. a huge channel for um, for road biking, and um, of course they're they're in the United Kingdom, and we we also have we have a lot of great international dealers and partners, but um, we we put a lot more of our focus into into sales in the United States, into mm -hmm. you know into into serving the customers that we can much more easily serve and give great customer service compared to those customers overseas. So we haven't put, um, we haven't put any effort into getting, you know, getting a big road publication in, in GCN or yeah. uh, we haven't, we haven't put a big effort in getting our spokes into the, the tour de France, which, um, you know, which, which is actually something I've been thinking more about, but, um, the, you know, and in particular, the, even on the roadside, the spokes are really, really valuable for those, for the, for climbing and for, for rough terrain. Yeah. That dampening to me is the big one. I mean, like it, it, it's because you're running those higher pressures on your wheels and stuff like that. Um, I would say that my lower back hurts more after a long road ride than it does after a, a like a crazy big mountain bike ride, you know, oh, yeah. and it's just that, that little vibration of just like constantly, kind of just going through through your body that i mean to me if you're not going to lose any power but it can be more comfortable like that seems like a hundred percent win in the road road market you know yeah and think about the the spring classics you know think about perry roubaix with the cobblestones and and now riding on that on bird spokes compared to to steel or the you know the cobbled stages in the the Tour de France. That that is absolutely, um, you know, goal of ours is to 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 be able to to get some top riders riding our spokes on that terrain and really really see the benefit of it. And I think that would that would help more people understand the benefit for for road. Yeah, sure. yeah. Somebody mentioned in the comments about like the road cycling being a little bit less um, inclined to embrace new technology, and I think that. Um, part of that though is also like the rules for like tour de france for example like he mentioned breaks in his thing and i think that's one of those things where like i think in the rules of the tour de france the way it was originally written was like these are the types of breaks that you have to use so people couldn't use hydraulics because of that or something like along those lines it is i wonder if there's something similar with, with wheel sets i mean well well wheels are um non-standard wheels are have special special regulations but uh -huh. fortunately when 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 you have individual spokes in a wheel so when you have a you know a normal spoked wheel like our spokes create you there's no special regulations and the the regulations that you do have to pass though are just the the normal uci um wheel tests like the uci impact mm -hmm. test and so okay so there, there is no, as long as, you know, whatever wheel set that you're using for the Tour de France has undergone that UCI impact test, um, then you don't have to, there's no other regulations. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. That, I mean, that's – I don't even – what, what do you do? You like reach out to teams and you try to like talk them into using your stuff. Is that how it works or? Yeah, I think, I think it requires a little bit more cash than, uh, yeah. than just, <laughs> just talking. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's the challenge as a small company is that. Um, Cause is they that, want you to sponsor them as well, like with money as well as, as right. like product. It's not like, Hey, we'll give you free wheels and you guys can do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just, you know, it's not just a hundred sets of wheels for the team and for training and for backups and all of that. Right. It's also, you know, it, it might be cash to go along with it. Um, and so because ultimately a, they, they're seeing their rider as like a billboard ultimately. So they're like, Hey, if this guy wins the tour de France, yeah. it's going to be worth a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. When, you know, what was really neat this year is that had, had had their wheels. So had cycling here in Roseville, Minnesota had their wheels back in the tour de France this year with mm -hmm. uh, team Astana. And, um, and that was really, really cool to see that. And of course they're still, they're still racing on those wheels this year. The really unfortunate thing is that Mark Cavendish is out of the Tour de France this year. So he, he crashed in, um, I don't remember which stage, stage eight or something. And, um, and he, you know, he was really hoping to win that 35th stage of his career to be the outright stage winner for the Tour de France. And he um, he got he did get second place, um, but oh, he's no. not going to be able to to do that this year. So I I you know for for the sake of head and for for Cavendish, I was really hoping that he would he'd win a race on their their wheels. Yeah, but, but he did. Yeah, totally. Huh. Yeah, that's it's interesting to think about. You know, it's definitely um, that that race. You know really has like a lot of impact on on people that are that are purchasing i i think that road cycling or road racing i don't know in my mind i feel like that has more impact on what people are buying than maybe like mountain bike racing does what do you think i you know i think i think uh i definitely agree if somebody wins the tour de france on you know, on a specialized bike, on right. revolver wheels, on vision wheels, on whatever it might be, you know, you, you, the consumer immediately knows that if, you know, if that's good enough for, um, you know, Jonas Vingegaard to win the general classification of the Tour de France, that's good enough for me. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and the, the, the great thing or not the great thing actually it's kind of a the problem with cycling i mean this in a sort of a good way but yeah is that is that that equipment really does matter a lot yeah you're you know it's it's a lot different than than running where you know you you, you maybe spend three hundred dollars to get the very best shoes right and right. you're you're set in biking right. if you want you know if you want the best equipment it it costs more money the equipment really does matter and so you're going to make that big investment on getting you know your new bike with your new wheels and having that you know seeing that person win the race gives you confidence in, in making yeah. that investment and i i think what it comes down to in road biking is that the just despite the tour de france being much less viewed and popular in the united states as it is in europe it's still it's still a big thing that a lot of people pay attention to, whereas the the mountain biking scene gets 
I think it's much less coverage. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, yeah, you're not. I, I, I would definitely say that the Tour de France will be mentioned on the nightly news. You yeah. know what I mean? Whereas like the World Cup, you know, downhill racing or like, you're not going to hear anything about it. They don't, no, they don't even exactly. like mention that it's like coming into town or, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, who gives a yeah, shit? The local news <laughs> has no idea that, you know, unbound gravel just happened or, you know, right. Right. Or that the, um, you know, or the UCI mountain bike races, they, it's just, it just doesn't get the cover coverage that the, yeah. that the Tour de France gets. Yeah. So um, you said that you're using several different ways to or manufacturers for for your your hoops. Um, is that just because of like the way the partnerships happened, or was it like you wanted to have a little more control with something, or what was the reason with that? Well, well, our um, all of our rims started being produced overseas, like you know, like most all rims, right, are, are right. produced in in Taiwan, and some are produced in China for a lot of the the big manufacturers and um and and we have and so that's where all of our rims are produced we they're all great rims um and we we discovered we are one composites you know and we thought that they could be a great partner for our, for us mm -hmm. because they make such great mountain bike rims in particular yeah. they make such great rims and they're in north america you know which which makes the supply easier with you know it, yeah. It's, uh, you know, less of an environmental cost, as I already mentioned. Yeah. They're so, creating everything there. They're not, they're yeah. not importing it. So, so we've used them for our, our mountain bike wheels and our other rims are still produced in Asia because that's just, you know, that's just been a, a good partnership of ours as well. Uh -huh. And, and, you know, they specialize more in the, um, you know, in, in the gravel rims more so than, then mm -hmm. we are one does. It's, it's not to say that that um, you know we won't continue to use we are one and and yeah. um, have only the best things to to say about them as as a company. Our warranty rate on our on our hawk rims has been you know unbelievably low um, because they, they have such a tight manufacturing process for producing mm -hmm. them. Yeah, yeah. Did you did that process like of of bringing a wheel out go the way that you expected it when you first started? Um, yeah, I, you know, we, we, we've got definitely got more, um, in depth with the design of our rims, but, you know, for example, for the, des the design of our rims with, we are one composites, we, we are not, um, we're not, we don't claim to be experts in the design right. of carbon fiber composites, right? We've got our, our thing that we're really good at and that's our, that's our spokes. And then, mm -hmm. so that's why we need a great partner to be able to work with. And, you know, despite, despite designing the, the profile of the rim, um, working with We Are One Composites was so great because they're they are absolutely experts on the on the composite side, and it made yeah, that development yeah. process really really nice to to work with them. Man, I had another great question just slipped right out of there. <laughs> what um what when you started like making? Oh man, it's like right there. It's just not coming. Anyways, we'll just have to go move, move, move along. I wanted yeah. to ask about the colors as well. You guys do black and white. And if I remember correctly, you can dye them as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another new thing since we, you know, talked last. That's, that's about, we've been offering our coloring kits for about a year now. So 
So if you'd like a set of wheels with white or black spokes, you can get those from us directly. If you would like any other color, you order a white set of wheels from us and we'll send you a coloring kit. So we've got mallard green, oriole orange. Um, oh, I'm going to mess up these other colors. Flamingo pink, maybe. I mean, <laughs> anyways, we've got, you know, every, every uh, color of a bird that you'd like. And, uh, and, and you can um, spend about in a half an hour to an hour and, and you use our, our coloring kit comes with the ink that you need, the applicator, and you, you fill up the brush and you literally just paint it on. And what's, what's really cool about that is that if you want to be, you know, you just want to be normal, you just want to match your bike, paint them all the same color, you know, do orange mm -hmm. spokes and, you know, and, and match the color of your bike. Or if you want to get a little bit more creative, you can you can do every other spoke. You can just do the two spokes by the valve stem. Um, it's pretty neat seeing some of the designs that people come up with to to totally personalize their wheels, and um, you know even doing a, a rainbow effect or a fade from one color to the other or some of the yeah I've seen some like that. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So with that dye, like, can you always go to black? no matter what color you do, like it, like say I did blue, right. And then the next bike I build, I'm like, Oh, that doesn't work. Could I paint the black over top of it? You can. Yeah. That, that is the one conversion that you can do. You know, if you start with white spokes and, and you don't like that, you want to go to black or you have another color, um, especially with the lighter colors. Um, I don't yeah. want to give you, I don't want to give you an absolute guarantee and yeah. say that if you start with blue and you go to black, you're not still going to see, you know, that you might not still see some of that, that blue in there but yeah more or less you know if you do if you do a couple of coats of black you can you can cover up another another right. color the colors are really hard to remove so if you you know if, if you go if you go blue and then you say no i want to go back to white there's 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 not an option for that there's <laughs> not the, the option is buy some more <laughs> yeah maybe um sell that set on craigslist and we'll get you another right. set i remembered the question from earlier so now that you have your own wheel sets do you see did you see like that that really affect your sales where like whereas before people were like oh i gotta buy just these spokes and there's this different process like is the adoption rate a lot higher now that that you just see like, like that you have it packaged all ready together yeah ab absolutely because because most people don't build wheels in their basement you right know? Um, most people don't do podcasts in their garage, right? Right. <laughs> you don't, they don't have the, the tools to, to an experience to be able to do that. And so having our wheels ready to go, ready to ship so that, you know, you break your wheels and you're going to do the tour divide next week and you need a new set of wheels, give us a call, right? And we can ship those to, to you right away. Mm -hmm. Um, the other part of it is that is that we started off predominantly direct to consumer, like most small mm -hmm. companies, right? You've got to get started, um, get your product in the hands of, of those who you're able to. And so you know, we're, we predominantly just shipped to, to consumers, but now the majority of our business is through our bicycle shops, right? Through mm -hmm. our partners all over the country, we're able to, to stock our wheels and, and, bicycle shops compared to you know me or you are probably much more equipped to building wheels than um you know than i would be at my house 
but um, but the problem is is that you know they're busy and doing something custom is always going to be going to be more work. And so so with wheels, we can you know you can have your wheels on the shelf. Somebody walks in, um, they need a new set of wheels for their mountain bike, for their gravel bike. Mm -hmm. They can get up and running right away. So that that's the that's the thing about wheels is that wheel you know wheels are, are what you can put on your bike and get rolling versus having yeah. to, to go through the process of, of yeah building. yeah totally do you with your your um wheel sets do you have just like using rim tape or do you guys have like an, an insert that goes in there or anything like that or we do rim tape yeah mm -hmm. um all all of the wheels that we sell are tubeless compatible and so um you know, we use good rim tape, um, just like the uh, very similar to the the whiskey rim tape that you'd be that you'd see on um, that QBP sells. Um, and uh, we we've got people who definitely use Kush core inserts and other inserts inside their wheels as also an option with our mm -hmm. wheels. But uh, but most people are are just yeah. I think what I was talking about, like the the inserts thing, is that actually you know that's key as well. I mean, I. I know that there were some wheel manufacturers that had some failures and they were at one point kind of saying that it was the inserts fault, but I don't, I don't know if that was accurate or not, but um, like Envy, for example, on their M7 wheels, they don't use a, a rim, like a tape. They use actually like a rim strip. And yeah. um, so I was, I, don't, I was just curious if, if you were considering something like that or, um just tape seems easy enough and go with that yeah well I, I know that the rim strip that envy offers on their seven series wheels and those those wheels are um you know those are enduro those are mm -hmm. downhill wheels um i i think that adds a lot of added protection to the rim yeah because it's, it's not just a, a thin you know super thin piece of plastic it's a it's a enough material to be able to soften the blow of of hitting a rock and yeah uh, yeah it makes it kind of hard to put your tires on though especially if you're using inserts on top of it so oh yeah but, i've never i've never used them personally but yeah yeah i mean I, I i have those wheels i i mean i really enjoy them but i will say that you know if you're a person that already doesn't like putting cush core in your tires it makes it harder so um but I do like running Kushcore in my wheels just because I like that added sidewall stiffness. But um, yeah, so it, it definitely makes it a little more difficult. But I, I feel like there's like maybe there's a different way to go about making the rim strips that like still kind of like because the part that I really do like is the fact that you don't have to mess with tape. And like, you know that it's going to seal and it's not going to like. Like you don't ever have a problem of like, oh, maybe the tapes like needs to be retaped. You know, like somehow mm -hmm. that happens to tire or to, to wheels over time. So I don't know. I was just curious. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, Seth had did that video. And, and I think on top of the video that he did specifically talking about your wheels, he has his bike that has your wheel set on in multiple videos. Like the video I think that I watched today, it, it was with this hardtail, which has the bird wheels on it. Yeah, that's the titanium hardtail. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what kind of, like, did you see a direct, like, impact from that video going on to, like, 
all of a sudden like you guys were just getting a ton of phone calls or or what was that that like having an influencer like that talk about your product yeah ab absolutely and, and we you know going back to one of the the first bigger youtube videos that we did was with um was with worldwide cyclery who's been a mm -hmm. really great partner of ours as well and they did a I don't know if you've seen this video. It was in, um, now I can't remember. It was in 2021, the spring of 2021. And they did a really great, but also comedic video um, of our of our TR27 wheels. I don't know if you've seen some of their videos, but they're-, they're Yeah, I've great. definitely watched their stuff. I've, I've had the, yeah. uh, the, the founder, Jeff, on uh, the podcast here before as well yeah yeah jeff and liam uh, th those guys are are great and they do a lot of really funny stuff too um but th that was um that was really huge for us because we were still pretty small at the time and we we definitely saw an uptick of you know so many people just learned about us and they're calling mm -hmm. us for the first time and then um and we've you know we've absolutely continued to see that with you know like with the the videos from seth um, when, when we go to shows, we do about 10 to 12, um, events throughout the year mm -hmm. and, um, or, you know, sea otter from April. That's, that's a great example. And I, I was at that one. I get to, I go to a couple of the events each year. We get a lot of people who come up and say, you know, we, we say, Hey, where'd you, where'd you hear of us from? And they said, Seth, you know, I saw yeah. you on Seth, Seth, Seth's bike hacks, especially the, the younger generation. Seth is just so well known. He has he delivers such great content and he's he's not afraid to share his honest opinion on things too mm -hmm. and so that you know when he when he really when he really sees something that he likes people take you know they really listen to it and take a lot of value yeah. out of that so so i get so many people who come up at events and say hey i you know i saw you on seth's bike hacks but i've never seen you in person so it's so great to see you and um we've gotten a lot of that since Seth has done his videos. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, he definitely has a good good grip on um like you said the younger generation I think is really like a lot of his demographic but you know, the he's been doing it for almost 10 years so a lot of the young guys are older now and then also like you said the quality of his videos as well are just it's just um he's got a great audience, you know. So I yeah. I've I've heard of like him doing videos and it just like you know that company's website couldn't handle the traffic or you know it's just like he his his reach is is so so wide so and you probably got at least a million people watching this tonight right oh yeah at least at least a million <laughs> i think there's something wrong with the number counter but yeah well <laughs> but, yeah well, I, I know that my my you know my wife and my kids are watching um at home right now so i think you know I've, we've got at least them if not right you know, 900,000 more. So, right. Right. I, when I first started the podcast, um, really it was primarily on YouTube because, of I used to do these like live streams and, and I just would have a lot of people that watched them. And, um, whenever I started doing the podcast, like it got to a point where I really needed to, to separate it from my regular content yeah. because I feel like it was like confusing the algorithm or something like that. And, um, so when I made it its own channel, then I could really know that like the people that were subscribing were subscribing for the podcast instead of like, Hey, are they subscribing? Cause they liked that trail video that I did. And it's such a different content. So I split it up. And, um, initially the podcast on YouTube got way more views 
And now the podcast has been around long enough that it's actually the opposite way now where the YouTube views are, are relatively low, but um, the podcast downloads are like super high. And yeah. um, I, I, I always do it on, I, I like to keep doing it on YouTube though, because I feel like YouTube has a much better way of getting new people to hear. You, you know what I mean? Where like, so maybe somebody only listens to the podcast for the first time on YouTube. But then after that, they they subscribe to it on their favorite app and they can listen to it while they're, you know, on their gravel ride or wrenching in their garage or whatever. And it makes yeah. more sense to do it that way. So it's been really interesting watching those numbers flip flop over over time. So, yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's different, too. Like, it's weird. The um, the like the numbers in the podcast world compared to the numbers in the YouTube world are, are dramatically different. And it's like. I, I thought for a while, I was like, ah, this, this is doing okay. And then I looked it up to see like, hey, what does a podcast do? And it's like, yeah, you're in the top 5% or something. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't realize that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. Do you listen to many podcasts? I don't. Um, yeah. I, I definitely stay pretty busy. We we do do a lot as a family in the evenings. Yeah. And, you know, we uh, have a lot of activities going on. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, I work, I work and I spend a lot of time with my wife and my two kids. My, my kids are uh, five and seven years old. And then, um, you know, then I bike in any other time. Right. After. Right. Yeah. I think for me, the, the podcast really kind of fell into place where it's, it was originally actually, um, I was at, Sedona mountain bike festival and this guy that I knew that used to work for Norco he, he cause he drove a lot. He was like, man, you guys should listen to this podcast that I listened to on the way here. And we had, we had driven down there. So we had this 12 hour drive to get back, you know, from Sedona to Northern California. And, um, the podcast that he recommended was just so good. It, it, um, it, it got us so into it that when we got home, we were sitting on our couch listening to it instead of like watching TV. Right. Yeah. So, and then from there, it's just kind of one of those things. Well, I, I do the road rides during the week to kind of um, get a little different activity than just mountain biking. And I don't know. I feel like there, it. Sometimes you get tired of listening to music, you know. So you're like, ah, oh, good conversation or something like that. So, anyways, so what do you what are you uh, looking forward to in the future here with with Bird? We we still have. Uh a long way to grow it's been super exciting getting to where we are now and and um so you know first of all we're super excited about the new products we have coming out we've got the the new gravel wheels are going to be the first you know next mm -hmm. thing that you're going to see um we all, we also have uh there's there could be a couple of applications where you might see us outside of the wheel space which is mm -hmm. which is also kind of exciting so there's yeah. a you know, I'll hint at it a little bit, but I can't, yeah. I can't tell you about it yet, but there's a new, I'll just say automation technology yeah. that we have because, we, you know, as a, as a company, our, our technology is in the, definitely the products. So we've got, mm -hmm. you know, technology in the spokes and some technology in the wheels and hubs now also, um, you know, to, to be able to deliver great wheels, but the, the way we got that way and the way in which we produce our spokes is through manufacturing automation and so mm -hmm. we we do a, there's a lot of technology that you just you never see 
we mm-hmm. won't show you. <laughs> you know, right. it's behind it's behind closed doors here at Bird, but but there's something that's come out of that that we think is going to be really useful for the the bike industry. So we're we're also excited about that product as well as um, while, you know. While we've been sitting here talking, I've been thinking about. I mean, you guys changed the spoke, but in my mind, I'm like, what about the interface to to the hoop? Like, why does it have to be a hole through the hoop instead of like, I don't know, like maybe your spoke, instead of having a, a, a nipple on the end of it, has a hook and the way that the hoops are made have something that it can hook onto or or something along that. Like, like there, there's a lot, like you could change the way that you're actually interfacing to the the actual hoop itself instead of drilling a hole through it, which is a weak point for one thing. And then also, like, then you wouldn't even have to have tape like we were talking about earlier. Well, Richard, I mean, I'm sorry, Robert. Um, yeah. If, you, if you've got these great ideas, don't tell them on the podcast. Can you just tell yeah. them to me secretly so that we can get them patented <laughs> before everybody else finds out about them? We can't. Right. You can't let everybody know about these these new ideas. This is this is how I do my life. Is I come up with million dollar ideas and then I wait for somebody else to do it. So my podcast talking about it is my ability to actually see the product that that I wanted to come to fruition. So yeah, no, we you know we've definitely thought about things like that. The 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 nipple is critical in being able to true a wheel, and uh-huh. I just don't I just don't see the 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 way in which we could produce a wheel that would be true without having the, you know, the threads and the nipple there. Uh-huh. Of course, sometimes those those are backwards. So in some yeah. wheels, the in some wheels the spokes can get tightened from the hub side. Right, right. Instead of getting tightened from the the rim side, but but honestly, a big the a big value in our spokes is that they actually do work with standard components. And then the more and more non-standard things you make, well, now now it's more difficult to service. Yeah, you know, yeah. By your normal bicycle shop and, and things like that. So I'm I'm just saying those things so that people don't catch on to the fact that you've got yeah, a yeah. great idea that we're gonna get working on as soon as. Yeah, but that makes that makes sense though too. I mean, at the end of the day, like even if it was better, a better product, the fact that it would only be on your product, you know, or you know, then then it, it would be like a, a subset, you know, you, you can't, it's not as easily interfaced with everything else. So who knows? We'll try to steer them away a little bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing about starting a company that I've found is that um, the, the great idea, and this is also what you alluded to, is just a super small part of actually getting a new product into someone's hands. It takes mm-hmm. so much more than, then coming up with an idea and then saying, okay, you know, everyone's going to be able to use this all over the world, right? That's like, that's like mm-hmm. 1% of it. And then the 99% is actually having the tenacity to, you know, to produce something, to market it, to get it out into people's hands so that they can actually use it and to, and to do that and to be sustainable and continue doing that over time is that is the biggest challenge. So I, I love coming up with ideas, but I try to prevent myself from doing that because we have to have yeah. so much focus on, uh, you know, on just on doing what we're really good at. And as soon as we we start doing other things, then then you're not going to get your wheels on time, yeah. and uh, you know you won't be able to 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 use our wheels. 
Yeah, definitely. I'm I have the the ADD problem, so I like I like shiny balling everything. So move around from one thing to the next quite frequently. Yeah. <laughs> what about the uh so you were saying the way that you you like to come, you know, work through your process of of, of making things um kind of losing my train of thought there. I was thinking about 3d printing and um being able to like make things real real quickly do you guys do any kind of like prototyping like that yeah we, we do, do a ton of 3d printing so when we're developing a new manufacturing process we use 3d printing to create the brackets the fixtures that we need you know to create parts that might eventually be made out of metal but you 3d print them first to see what they're going to look like um and then it, it it turns out that all of our tools that we've been selling for years now have all the handles for them have been 3d printed it's a really it's it's actually a good manufacturing method when you're creating something mm -hmm. that's relatively small something that has intricate you know geometries for it it's really good so we have we have two 3d printers here that run pretty much continuously so they oh, right they, they run every single night producing you know producing yeah. parts you know that go into our manufacturing process or some of our our tools and it's it's a amazing technology, especially for prototyping, you know, for, for creating larger things that are actually used. 3d printing is still, it's still, you know, on the verge of whether or not it's, it's, um, you know, if it makes sense from a cost perspective, yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I think eventually it'll get that way. Um, I, um, went down that rabbit hole a while ago and bought one and it's, it, it, has been more useful to me than I, I thought it would be when I bought it. Like when I bought it, I had something in particular that I wanted to make. And, um, and then I made a billion other things instead. So, <laughs> yeah, so, it's a yeah. great technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So with, um, what's the best way for people to get your wheels is it still all direct to consumer or. You know, we, we absolutely encourage people to go to their local bicycle shop to see if they're a bird dealer. And if they're not a bird dealer, tell them, tell hey, them. you know, give, <laughs> give bird a call and um, get set up to be a, a dealer. Because then, you know, if, you're, if your local bicycle shop is a bird dealer, um, it, it just makes your life easier. You know, you're going to be going to the shop anyways for a service. Um, you, you know, you're probably not going to need to true your wheels very often down the road. But if you do, you've got that shop there who's going to be able to help you out with that. Um, mm -hmm. On the other hand, if, you know, if that doesn't work out and um, you know, you don't, you don't live next to one of our best dealers in the country, well then, then we can absolutely ship, ship you our products. We'll ship you our wheels um, mm -hmm. and any, anything else that you need. Just birdspokes.com. Birdspokes.com. Yeah. Thanks Robert. So um, whenever somebody's truing your wheels, is it still just the standard tools or is there anything different? For truing our wheels, you need to use a spoke holding tool. Uh -huh. Have you trued wheels before, Robert? Um, not very well, but I've done it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you're using a bladed spoke, there's a tool called a bladed spoke holder, and mm. that prevents the spoke from twisting while you tighten it. Because while you tighten the nipple, that that is going to you know try to turn the spoke at the same right. time and the, that tool prevents it from from twisting and so our spokes will definitely twist and so we have a special tool that fits onto the spoke to prevent them from twisting while building other than that the turing process is pr 
pretty similar to to metal metal spokes you know it's mm -hmm. if you're you know if you're good at truing or if you're bad at truing you're still going to be bad at truing even with our spokes <laughs> so is the tension similar or is it like because i know there's a device that you put on the spoke to know how how like tight it is or whatever is it much yeah. higher or lower or what, what is yeah. it yeah, it's similar. The tension is similar. It's uh -huh. uh, we tension our wheels to about 100 kilograms of force, which is mm -hmm. uh, what you would do in a in a metal spoke wheel. And if you're using a tensiometer, each tensiometer has to be calibrated for the spoke type that you're using. So if you're using a metal spoke, the tensiometer has a different calibration curve than if you're using a bird spoke. And a bladed spoke is different than a round spoke. Oh, and so um, you have to have that calibration curve if you want to be able to 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 build a wheel from scratch and to get to a set tension. Now, if you're mm -hmm. truing a spoke or if you're truing a wheel and you happen to have a tensiometer nearby, you can just check to see what the other spokes are at, and you right. can try to make all the spokes even. So you don't you don't need a calibration to to true a wheel. You just need to try to make all the spoke tensions even. And you can even Got do it. that you know, if you're musical musical at all. You can even do that by ear by just listening to the pitch of the spokes and that. That go. works the same way for bird spokes as it does for for metal spokes. <laughs> yeah. But they don't vibrate as well, so it's a, it's much lower noise. So you're correct. I was going to say that. I'm glad you picked up on that. They don't. They're not going to ring as nicely. So it's a more of a dull sound, um, and it does take a little bit longer to pick up on that. Yeah. So I I think that um I mean we've talked about pretty much everything, but I think that there's probably somebody out there that's like. Why didn't he ask about can how they can you rip these their string you know like so, oh, yeah. how do you how, how do you deal with how do you deal with those people when we haven't even them? we haven't even talked about the negatives yet it took us right? an hour and forty five minutes for you to <laughs> bring up a single negative wow that's that's pretty impressive Robert um what here's what we we tell people that there folks have two enemies the two enemies are fire and scissors so. <laughs> And it's you know entirely truthful. So the uh -huh. the just like just like a carbon wheel set um, which has warnings on it, you don't want to leave the wheels behind right behind your exhaust. You know you know you don't want your car running and set your wheel right at the at your tailpipe because right. Um, and you know it's not it's not an issue I've ever actually heard of happening. But you know the material you can you can burn it with a lighter. Right. If you take yeah. a lighter up to the spokes, right, you get you right. can burn it. So, so um, that's not one that comes up very often. The scissors is you can you can cut the spokes with a good pair of scissors while they're in tension. Fortunately, when you're on the trail, there usually aren't people with scissors trying to, you know, cut your spokes as you ride by. Um, mm -hmm. But that is to say that that um, if you contact something really sharp, you can cut the spokes. And so mm -hmm. a lot of cases, the spokes are more durable than metal spokes in a crash you know in anything blunt in, impact you could take a sledgehammer and hit the side of a wheel as hard as you want a metal spoke you're going to deform that spoke you're going to make a bend in it that's permanent yeah it's going to be that's, weak that's not going to be a problem with our spokes um but if you're going 35 miles an hour and you shoot your derailleur into your into your spokes and that you know that would typically take out metal spokes you're probably going to kind of break your spokes with bird spokes mm -hmm. as well. So they are by no means are the spokes indestructible, but they mm -hmm. have a really, really good fatigue life. And in many cases, they outperform steel, you know, when you get in a crash. And you could read some of our reviews um, 
on the you know on the wheels or you know on our website or other other places and people say you know i'm a i'm a big guy i ride big trails on my long travel bike and i crash mm. <laughs> and yeah. you know, and my wheels are still running perfectly true so so they do well but they're not they're not indestructible and you can you can replace this boat when you break it yeah yeah is there and i would imagine just asking to to hear the answer uh, um there's not a warranty in that type of situation it's like you broke your spoke yeah yeah if you if you crash and break your spoke that's not covered under our warranty so our you know our our lifetime warranty on our rims covers those rims because that's the that's the really expensive part of the wheel, right 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 and so people when they're buying a carbon set of rims you know they've got a little bit of fear that what if something happens i don't want to have to spend another you know x amount of dollars yeah. to buy a new wheel set if you break a spoke that's not covered under a warranty but to be you know just between you and me and everyone else who's going to listen to this <laughs> um we're a small company and we really like our customers to be happy and so you know if you call call us and say hey i broke a spoke and that you know i i only crashed a little bit or you know or whatever it yeah. might be we're gonna we're gonna help you out for sure you know yeah, um, yeah. We, we, i was we just trying to think of something that that somebody would you know like potentially be like hey this is garbage i paid this much for these spokes and i had one accident and they all fell apart you know i i know there's like I think when that stuff happens with people, it, it, it really is not because they're like, um, like trying to work the company over. I think it's really because they just can't afford to fix what, what has broken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we're very fortunate to have, um, a lot of great customers for our product yeah. and so, you know, things happen and, um, yeah. we're gonna try to help you out to get you back on the trail yeah yeah that's awesome man what um what's what's been most surprising about this journey that you've taken building this company what's been most surprising um that is a great question robert that's a that's a tough one um it's it's um it's strange how you know how things happen and i never would have envisioned that um that that we would be at the place where we are, we are today. And so, um, you thought it was going to be slower or you just thought it was never going to like, like snowball as much as it has, you know, it's, it's really just hard to, it's just hard to, to be at a much different place and envision what's going to happen in, in the future. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so, you know, um, to be quite honest, most everything is a surprise, right? You know, we do, we do our best to, to plan things. Yeah. But um, it's just been, it's been amazing on how how um, how much people have appreciated what we've been doing mm -hmm. in the industry because and you, you we tried our best right we we tried to yeah. create a wonderful product but people might not like it you know you yeah. you just don't yeah. know when you're when you're starting uh, a company and. Um, and so, you know, the fact that that we've had we've had such great customers and partners, and that we continue to grow is absolutely a, a surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you really came out with something that that shook it shook it up shook up something that that has been like you said somewhere along the line. You know, the, the spokes haven't been changed for 
would you say like a hundred years or something? I yeah, don't know. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that um, it's well-deserved. I mean, you, you've put out a good product now that so many more people have had a chance to like ride your wheel sets or your, your spokes and the, the proof is in the pudding. Right. So like, it's not, it's one thing for you to say like, Hey, these spokes are awesome. Everybody's going to love them. And then it's another thing for like the world to say that. And that's, I, I, I personally haven't heard any, anybody come to any kind of negative reasons with, with your spokes. Like everybody I've talked to that has them, they love them. They just want to, the only downside is they want more of them, you know? <laughs> like So, yeah. well, you know, what they I, say I, about the bike industry, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's not a lot of things that are, you can't, it's hard to spend your money, you know, quite so much money as, as on other industries. So you always want, yeah. you want to have the newest, best equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so good thing for companies like you coming out with new stuff all the time. And you're like, go out and, and you'll, you'll be able to find something else to spend your money on. Right. <laughs> well, man, I really appreciate talking to you. It, it's been a lot of fun. I wasn't sure. Um, what we're going to talk about every time I start one of these, I'm like, man, who knows what's going to come up. And I, that was a really fun conversation. It was really good to catch back up with you and what you guys have been doing. It, you've had some phenomenal growth over the last two years. That's just, um, it's gotta be, that's gotta feel good and probably intimidating at the same time. Where it's like, now you have more people to be like worried about, you know, paying for their dinners and their, their, their kids Christmas presents and stuff. But, um, you guys, you guys are doing good things. This is awesome. I'm really happy that, that things have been going the way that they have for you. Well, I, I really appreciate it, Robert. You have such nice things to say about us and it's so nice of you to, to host me on the show. Yeah. 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 It was great catching up. Hopefully I'll bump into you here at one of the other, uh, one of the other events that you're going to, do you go to, what, what are you going to later this year? Um, we've got, a local event in Wisconsin, um, Schwamigan Bike Festival. It's in September. We're doing Leadville um, in in uh, August in oh, right on. Colorado. Uh, we'll do uh, Big Sugar in Bentonville, Arkansas in October. And then what um, kind of event is that? Is that like a gravel or something? Gravel, yeah. And that's part yeah. of the Lifetime series. And that's the the culmination of the series that's the last event of the year oh, right on. So it draws some good competitors because of because it's part of that and then you know and then of course over the winter we'll do our our local fat bike events here too right <laughs> well i mean you guys are the mecca of fat biking so you should just go ahead and and really get behind that on the brand right yeah right anyways man it was great chatting with you charlie anybody that hasn't already gone over to birdspokes.com do that he also has a youtube channel they got an instagram and a facebook and all that stuff to go over there and take a look at their stuff if you haven't already and um i'm sure if you type bird spokes in youtube you'll get a bunch of videos as well so go out there take a look at it it's definitely something to see uh, a pile of spokes looking like spaghetti and it's not something that you would see before or normally see so um it's definitely interesting. And then you see, you see people out there just shredding with them. So you guys are doing great, man. I'm awesome. It's, it's great that you guys have the wheel sets now. So um, definitely could take a look at that if, if you haven't already, or if you're thinking about buying a new wheel set, go check them out. Anyways, if you haven't 
for me, and you've been watching YouTube this whole time, you hadn't hit subscribe or the thumbs up button, please do that. Those of you guys that listen on the podcast, especially those of you on Apple Podcasts, if you write a five-star review, I'd be like crazy stoked. I went over there the other day. It's been a few months since somebody wrote a review. Please do me that favor. That would be rad. It helps the Apple algorithm shoot that thing over to other people and then i think somehow it does like it does like the podcast algorithm to the world and it tells them hey check this one out make this the most popular biking podcast out there that would be great if you want to do something for free just remember it only takes a bike to be a biker get out and be one <laughs>